This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Julian, Sam VR, Benton, Israel, and Sam VR. That's right, Sam VR is going to show up twice in this episode. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Julian, who asks, When the Bible says, and it was like this to this day, is this day when the book was written, or the current present day, today? Well, Julian, to answer this question, let's take a look at an example. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, we read about the Ark of the Covenant inside the temple of Dagon, the false god of the Philistines. When the priests of Dagon came to the temple in the morning, their idol was face down on the ground before the ark, with its head and hands broken off. This leads the chronicler to write, This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. What this means is, from the time the idol was smashed, all the way to the time that 1 Samuel 5 was written, they had a rule in the temple that you couldn't walk where Dagon was smashed. Now that temple no longer exists, but it did at the time the book was written, and that's what the Bible means when it uses terms like to this day. Not necessarily our present day, but the time when the words were first written. And now Sam VR wants to know, what would life be like if the Son and the Father were the only ones in the Holy Trinity? Sam, to know what life would be like without the Holy Spirit, we have to remember what work the Spirit does, and then imagine life without that work. The first reference to the Spirit is in Genesis 1, verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In Hebrew, the word for spirit also denotes breath or wind. In creation, God speaks things into existence. He gives Adam life by breathing into him. So I think we can say that without the spirit, there would be no creation and that human beings would have no life. The spirit also inspired scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul describes Scripture as God-breathed. So without the Spirit, we would not have God's revelation of himself in the written word. Not only that, but the Spirit illuminates the meaning of the word to us. So without the Spirit, even if we did somehow have God's word, we would not be able to understand it. The Spirit also applies the work of the cross to us by regenerating us and bringing us to faith. So without the Spirit, there would be no salvation. These are just the highlights of what the Bible says the work of the Spirit involves. And already you can see that there's no way to imagine the work of God apart from the Spirit. From creation to salvation, all our hope depends on the triune God. 
Now it's time for the big question. Our big question this week comes from Benton. Let's give Benton a round of applause. Here's Benton's question. Did Jesus have to learn skills like walking and talking like we did when we were children? Did he have to study the Bible in order to learn it? You've asked a fascinating question, Benton, one that theologians have written about for 2,000 years. When you study theology, the word we use to describe the doctrines connected to Jesus is Christology. And one of the central themes of Christology is the doctrine of Christ's incarnation. That's the category that your question addresses because it has to do with the relationship between the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. Now, in the early church, the Bible's teachings about Jesus came into focus more and more as various heresies emerged. What happened was this. Someone would come along and teach, Jesus was like this, or Jesus was like that. And then the churches would search the scriptures to see whether or not these claims were true. Now, let's consider a few of these claims. There were some people who said that Jesus was just a man, a good teacher, even a prophet, but nothing more than that. They said he was human, but certainly not God. Other people said, no, Jesus was God. In fact, he was God, but not human. He only took on the appearance of a human being. Others said he was a human who was so good that eventually he became a god. Others said that he was a god who loved humans so much that he stopped being a god and became a human instead. Now, how were people supposed to know whether these claims were true or false? There was just one way. They had to study scripture. When they checked, they discovered that actually none of these claims was accurate. The Bible didn't teach any of these things. Instead, the Bible taught that Jesus was fully God and that he became fully human without losing any of his divinity. He wasn't half and half, half God and half man. He was all God, and he became all human. And today, sitting at the right hand of the Father, he remains fully God and fully man. So, everything true about God is true about the Son. And everything true about a human being is true about Jesus, except for one thing, which is sin. Jesus had no sin, and sin had no power over him. But in every other respect, he was human, as we are human. Now, that poses some mysteries, doesn't it? For one thing, God is all-knowing, but humans are not. So was Jesus all-knowing, or wasn't he? In the Bible, there are indications both ways. As a boy, Jesus teaches in the temple with such wisdom that everyone is astonished. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus shows incredible knowledge, even of people's thoughts. That makes it sound like there was no limit to his knowledge. On the other hand, Jesus himself sometimes says things that sound like there are limits to his knowledge. There are things only the Father knows, he'll say. And you scratch your head and wonder, well, what happened to his all-knowingness? Although we don't have specific information about whether Jesus learned to walk and talk growing up, we could argue that the absence of information tells us something. If Jesus could talk in the manger, if the shepherds showed up at his birth and he started talking to them, 
I think somebody would have mentioned that as a sign, don't you? In Philippians 2, in describing the humility of Christ, Paul writes that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That word emptying, it's kenosis in the Greek, has been seized on by theologians to try to understand the mystery of the relationship between Christ's divinity and humanity while he was on earth. Now, it doesn't mean that he stopped being God, but it does seem to suggest that in the Incarnation, when he took on human form, Jesus also limited himself in some respect. We want to be careful in how we talk about this, because above all, we need to maintain that he was fully God and fully man, and our explanations have a tendency to either make him sound less fully divine or less fully human. Typically, the way we approach this difficulty is to distinguish between Christ's two natures, his divine nature and his human nature. Whenever the Bible talks about his godly attributes, we associate that with the divine nature. And whenever the Bible talks about his human attributes, we associate that with the human nature. Beyond this, it's difficult to go with any degree of certainty, but it allows us to say that according to his human nature, Jesus would have experienced life as a human does. He would have matured physically and mentally as a human does. He had human needs, human desires, only they weren't distorted by sin. On specifics, though, I think we have to remain silent where the Bible is silent. What Jesus and his humanity learned about Scripture and how he learned it, I don't really know. The fact that he was the Word made flesh really encapsulates the mystery. Could he have been the Word but not known the Word? That's hard for me to comprehend. But if we keep in mind the two natures and never diminish either one, we can at least avoid following speculation like this down a futile path. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. Our first question comes from Israel, who wants to know, what's the longest trip you've been on and the longest plane ride? The longest trip, Israel, in terms of time, would have to be traveling with Worldview Academy. Now that I'm a pastor, I travel back and forth during the summer, but I used to be on the road with Worldview for two months at a time. In terms of distance traveled, the farthest I've been to the west is Hawaii, and the farthest I've been to the east is Europe. I'm not sure which flight was the longest in terms of total mileage, But the one that felt longest was the trip to Hawaii, because the whole time my ears felt like they were going to pop. And now Sam VR comes back to us with a second question for this episode. He asks, will you make a Big Question YouTube channel where you can have a video and have questioners in it? Will you ever have a Big Question party for 100 episodes, for example? Sam I've been told I have a face for radio, so I'm not sure a YouTube channel is the best idea, and I'm not really a big party thrower either. However, we've got something special planned for next week. For youth group, we're holding a Q&A time with Pastor Mark. It will be a little bit like a big question live show, where you can ask anything you want, and I'll do my best to answer. Hopefully that will whet your appetite for fun. 
That's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. Never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking The Big Questions.